and welcome to We the Young People, a podcast produced by the Young Elected Officials Network. We're your hosts, Alana Bird, YEO's Policy Coordinator. And I'm Michelle Landry, YEO's Membership Associate. In 2020, we're celebrating YEO's 15th birthday. Each month, we bring on YEO members who are working at the forefront of policy and change, highlighting a new topic and a new member each episode. If you'd like to be featured, please reach out. My email is a, B as in boy, Y, R, D as in dog, at PFA, like people for the American way, dot org, a bird at PFA.org. And that goes for any policy support or assistance that you may need. That's what we're here for. Additionally, you can find our podcast on Spotify or iTunes, as well as through our website, yeonetwork.org, and embedded in our monthly policy bulletin, which will be emailed out shortly after each podcast is published. Now, let's get to our topic for the month. Efforts to defund and undermine the United States Postal Service. This month, we interviewed Congressman Brendan F. Boyle of Pennsylvania's 2nd Congressional District. Congressman Boyle was born and raised in the city of Philadelphia. The son of an immigrant, Congressman Boyle's father was a janitor for the regional transportation system, and his mother was a school crossing guard. The first in his family to attend college, Brendan attended the University of Notre Dame and later graduated from Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government with a master's degree in public policy. Brennan was elected to the Pennsylvania State Legislature in 2008, becoming the first Democrat to ever represent his legislative district. Two years later, his brother Kevin was also elected to the state legislature, making them the first brothers to serve together in the state house. In 2014, Congressman Boyle pulled off an upset win over three better funded rivals to be elected to Congress. Now in his third term, Brennan represents the 2nd Congressional District of Pennsylvania, which is fully enclosed within the city of Philadelphia. He currently serves on the House Ways and Means Committee and on the Select Revenue, Oversight, and Social Security subcommittees thereof. He also serves on the House Committee on the Budget. He previously served on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Congressman Boyle is the founder and co-chair of the Blue Collar Caucus, which advocates for working families by addressing wage stagnation, job insecurity, and the future of work. Besides being proud of and thankful for Brendan's active membership in YEO for several years, I also have a special place in my heart for the congressman, as I worked for him for about five years. Brendan's state house office offered me my first internship and then my first job out of college as a constituent service representative, and I continued to work for him on his congressional campaign as a special assistant, and then in his congressional office as a legislative aide. Brendan fostered my growth both as a liaison between elected officials and their constituencies, as well as a policy expert. Brendan and I have kept in touch over the years, and he was happy to sit down with me for this podcast, discussing his robust history of working on behalf of the employees and beneficiaries of the U.S. Postal Service. Hi, Brendan. Thank you so much for recording with us. We're really excited to have you on the podcast So uh, the first question we wanted to ask is uh, if you could tell us about how your district was impacted by cuts to the U.S. Postal Service. Yeah, well, great to be with you. And so this is obviously a national issue, so it affects every single congressional district. But I I think that the data has already been made public shows uh, it's probably worse in and around Philadelphia than almost any other part of the country. Um, we found out about it, uh, I think, before it became such a big national issue, simply because so many constituents were calling us. Mm-hmm. Um, to give you one example, we compared 
this past July, July 2020, to the previous July, um, we had over a 250% increase in constituent service cases relating to the Postal Service. So these are packages and letters being lost, passports being delayed, checks not arriving, medications not arriving. So pretty serious issues. And, you know, I I think sometimes um, what happens in Washington seems remote to people. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there are people like us who are, uh, you know, very much tuned in and, and live and breathe it even when it wasn't part of our careers. But we're in the best minority. For most people, what happens in Washington, D.C. can sometimes seem like remote and, and some abstract fight. This is different. This, the Postal Service and the mail not being delivered, that is a very tangible thing that shows up in, in people's lives um, day to day. And so we've just been really inundated in terms of the constituent service cases. Um, and unfortunately, there's not much of a sign that it's getting better. And Brendan, I know since the early days of your tenure as an elected official, you've been deeply involved with the local and national letter carrier unions. Can you speak to the effects you've seen on the unions and their memberships in the wake of defunding and undermining of the Postal Service? Yeah, it's been pretty um, profound, unfortunately. We're at a real crisis right now in the United States Postal Service. Um, Unfortunately, they've had to labor under an absurd uh, provision that was put into law about 15 years ago that they have to prepay 75 years worth of pension obligations. This is something that no private sector company has to to deal with. So a lot of the the postal issues are actually self-inflicted. And frankly, they were done uh, on purpose because there are those who want to weaken the postal service so that eventually they can privatize it. Um, and, and these are issues, again, that predate COVID, but then the COVID crisis has just exacerbated them. So, I, you know, working with, with unions um, closely is, is true to who I am and what I believe in terms of how we can build um, a more equitable society. Mm-hmm. Um, we would not have a middle class in America without strong unions. And if unions continue to be allowed to be weakened, then America's middle class and working class will also be weakened. Um, so I, I've been strongly supportive of, of the union movement broadly. And then specifically for letters carrier union, um, God knows they and the other um, postal workers unions absolutely need it. They have faced a year unlike any other this year. For real. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I can I can say for sure that I know that you are right when <laughs> you've always supported unions. Um, taking me back, talking you talking about that is taking me back to uh, one day very long ago on the campaign trail back in 20, oh my God, 2015, 2014, um, <laughs> when we were uh, we were heading up to the one of the many times uh, that there were efforts to privatize the Postal Service and uh there was an effort by Staples to purchase the, the Postal Service. And we uh, I, I remember this because I, I just recently found a T-shirt uh, from that picket line that you were uh, marching in that says, stop Staples, yes. the U.S. mail is not for sale. And I still have it. And unfortunately, it's still relevant. I, I do remember that. It was right at the, po- the big postal facility mm-hmm. right on Byberry Road. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that would have been spring or summer of either 2013 or probably mm-hmm. 2014. And the issue then was an effort to basically give staples 
a lot of the postal services work and outsource it to them. So it shows you how over the last decade and a half, there have been all these sort of insidious designs that some have come up with to basically um, kill the postal service, not directly, but through a thousand cuts. Right. And and that is what we're still um, having to battle right now. Absolutely. And what actions have you taken as an elected official to alleviate the problems that your constituents have experienced as a result of this undermining of the USPS? Well, about a month ago, um, I organized a, a media event uh, in a part of my district that is actually not too far from Benjamin Franklin's house and office, <laughs> Franklin, who was the first postmaster general right, right. of the United States. Um, in that media event, with, which I held, I invited a couple of uh, co congressional colleagues represent neighboring districts, stood with some of the um, postal workers, letter carriers, uh, union officials, mm -hmm. in which we insisted that any next round of COVID funding or COVID stimulus package must include the $25 billion that the USPS absolutely needs. Yeah. Um, certainly, there are other important priorities, such as the $600 extra week on unemployment insurance, mm -hmm. direct aid to state and municipal governments so that we don't have rounds of teachers and first responders being laid off, um, another round perhaps of PPP, more stimulus checks, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We wanted to make sure, and I organized this specifically to make sure that we showed the funding for the Postal Service was just as much uh, of a priority. Mm -hmm. And that in fact, not only the day-to-day the -day mail was at stake, but literally the sanctity of our democracy was at stake, right. given that how many people myself included, plan to vote by mail this November. Absolutely. Well, you can't vote by mail <laughs> if you don't have the mail. Yeah. Um, so, so we did that a month ago. Unfortunately, no package has passed Congress in terms of another round of stimulus. That, it looked like it was coming to head about a month ago. Yeah. And then suddenly Mark Meadows and, um, uh, and the White House just basically pulled out of those negotiations. They may resume next week when um, when we return to Washington. Um, since that time, though, we have gone back, at least in the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. we have gone back to Washington to vote on a standalone bill uh, for the Postal Service. Okay. We passed that on a rare Saturday session <laughs> uh, that would include $25 billion for the United States Postal Service. Um, it would also have in there provision saying that all of the joy's recent actions, which are clearly designed to undermine the Postal Service, that they would have to be reversed. Okay. So essentially, whatever policies and procedures were in place on January 1st, 2020, would have to be the policies in place for the rest of, of this year. Because it's pretty clear that this isn't just a funding issue. You also have a Postmaster General, a Trump mega donor, mm -hmm. Um, Mr. DeJoy, who is clearly taking actions. This is unprecedented. He's the Postmaster General, and he is literally taking <laughs> action to attempt to ruin the United States Postal Service. Right. So um, that bill obviously sits in, in the Senate right now. Um, I, and what I would in, encourage folks is to please contact your senators, demand that funding for the Postal Service be included in any stimulus package, 
um, or simply pass the uh, the bill that we passed. It's called HR 8015, the Delivering for America Act. Um, and it's just absolutely critical. Yeah, wonderful. What do you think the chances are that the Senate will pass it? <laughs> you know. I, I wouldn't say that Mitch McConnell sees eye to eye with uh, my views on, uh, on, on many things yeah. or uh, barely anything. But um, as much as I would like them to see to, to pick up the Delivering for America Act, and you know, there is some hope because I noticed there were 26 Republicans in the House right, right. who joined Democrats to vote for our bill, which tells me that there are a number of Republicans in pretty red districts who are actually now feeling pressure on this issue. And I do believe there are Republican senators, especially those who are up for election, um, facing that, that same sort of heat. Yeah. So while, you know, I'm not wildly optimistic, I think there is a chance. Yeah. But either way, I do know that, you know, the president cannot face re-election not having another round of stimulus. Right. And so the fact that we on the House Democratic side have said, look, this needs to be in there. That's a red line for us. That does make me quite optimistic uh, that any package you see past Congress will include funding for the Postal Service. That's good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And I mean, you're talking about the 26 Republicans who have joined with Democrats on passing that bill. And it makes sense because whether or not you think mail-in voting is a partisan issue, the fact remains that a lot of the people who rely most on the Postal Service, those in rural communities, older Americans, tend to be in those red districts. So, I mean, if right, exactly right. Uh, my, my opinion is that if those members know what's good for them, which some of the members did, but, you know, hopefully members of the Senate as well will actually take that into account. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, if you know, if I'm advising Jody Ernst in mm-hmm. Iowa, a very rural uh, state, and obviously, you know, she's up in a very competitive uh, re-election campaign. The Republican senators in Arizona, Colorado, North Carolina, um, Georgia, mm-hmm. Montana. Mm-hmm. You know, if I were advising them, uh, uh, you know, in giving them my best advice, I would say you better be for this this postal bill because, you know, the Postal Service has a 91% approval rating from the American people. That is just (laughs) remarkable. I I don't know of any other institution that enjoys such a a wide approval rating. So obviously, if you're going to get to 91%, that's not just Democrats. That includes a a ton of Republicans as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Are you finding racial disparities manifesting because of the defunding and undermining and uh, if so, how are you taking action to help mitigate those disparities? Yeah, it's a great question. And fortunately, given all that's going on um, in our society right now, I think that this angle to so many issues is, is being raised in a way that just wasn't happening uh, previously. One of the challenges in Philadelphia, which I, I'm a born and raised uh, Philadelphian, as mm-hmm. you know, and very proud of the city. Mm-hmm. Speaking realistically, for our city, it's the best of times and the worst of times. The best of times in terms of you know, the, the first population growth and real population growth since the end of World War II, jobs that are growing after decades of, of decline, the number of both older suburbanites moving back into the city, especially around downtown, 
combined with all the young college educated people from elsewhere who have flocked to Philadelphia mm-hmm. in recent years is, is really remarkable. When I was growing up, the big topic was the brain drain mm-hmm. and how Philadelphia, which has uh, more colleges and universities than almost any other city in the country, was was losing its um, its young college educated population. And today it's the exact opposite. However, despite that, all that good news, it's also the case that Philadelphia is um, the highest. We have upwards of 25 percent of folks, city residents who um, below, live below the poverty line. Wow which is the highest of any of the 20 biggest cities in, in the country. Mm-hmm. So um, we are essentially the poorest big city in the country, mm-hmm. living side by side with so many folks who are doing well in, in the city. So the reason why I bring up that socioeconomic angle is that obviously it's related mm-hmm. with the, the racial disparity mm-hmm. uh, as well. So. Um, these are, you know, folks who can't exactly say, oh, well, you know what, I'll pay extra and use FedEx or I'll use UPS. Um, these are, uh, folks who are more likely to look at the postal service as a job that is the pathway to the middle class. Um, you know, people of color now make up about 40% of the labor force. I, I referenced earlier just how big the labor force is and, and it's diverse, diverse in so many um, ways as such a high percentage of veterans working for it. But I think I, I might've left out that 40% of those who work for the postal service uh, are, are people of color. And just last week when I did yet another um, rally, it was a national day of action that the American Postal Workers Union hosted and we had this event outside the post office that I happen to use um, mm-hmm. locally. As I stood there with the postal workers, you could see how diverse the crowd was, as many females as males, white, black, uh, Asian-American, etc. So there's no question that what is happening to the Postal Service is having a disproportionate impact on uh, minorities within our society, especially African-Americans. Gotcha. And I know we've been talking about how cuts to the service can affect seniors, individuals in rural areas, low-income folks, and others. Um, But with the recent election, it kind of had me wondering, uh, how does an unreliable postal service impact voting? Well, uh, very simply, you can't have vote by mail if you don't have the mail. (laughs) And uh, the fact that we saw um, remarkable slowdowns uh, and just by pure coincidence in the Philadelphia area, um, I'm sure that was just a, a, a total coincidence. Totally. The biggest um, democratic uh, city and metro area, the biggest mm-hmm. battleground state, suddenly experienced unusual mail delays mm-hmm. in the two weeks before the election. Um, but however, a, a lot of us made an effort beginning about a week out from election day. A lot of us made a big effort to say, if you have if you have vote by mail, in other words, you, you've applied for the absentee ballot and you've received it, please do not mail it. Instead, mm. physically bring it either on election day to your typical voting place or beforehand one of the early voting centers, um, which they had in Philadelphia, as well right. as uh, I think every county throughout the state had set up at least one. That's great. And 
that seems to have worked. Uh, it's really interesting. In the few days after the election, the city commissioners in Philadelphia, at least, were pretty surprised by how few ballots that they received, especially compared to the June primary when mm. they received a ton mm. in in the uh, seven to ten days, even beyond ten days after Election Day. They received comparatively few this time, which tells me all of the effort really worked to attempt to get people to bypass if again, if you were, you know, within that week before the election day to bypass the mail and instead uh, physically deliver it in person. But, you know, it is just sad that mm. here we are in a democracy supposed to be <laughs> the example of democracy around the world. Yeah. And we have such obvious naked attempts mm. to weaken the Postal Service because President Trump knew that disproportionately it was Democrats who were taking advantage of vote by mail yeah. and it was Republicans who were more willing to vote on election day. So mm -hmm. all of his efforts to delegitimize vote by mail, to make it more difficult, were basically to attempt to disenfranchise people because those people were likely to vote Democratic and not Republican. And he even said um, that. He even said that outrageous. out loud. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, good news about the, uh, the the taking the actual ballot to the drop drop off center, which I thought was brilliant. My parents actually did that, um, so it ended up working out. But um, I definitely I it was just crowded every time I would pass. Like there's one down the street, you know, and it was crowded every single time. So yeah, I, and the good news is that um, despite all of these efforts to come up with creative roadblocks, mm -hmm. we just had the um, biggest turnout mm. in a presidential election by absolute numbers ever. And then by percentage of registered voters, uh, the, the biggest turnout in over a hundred years. Mm -hmm. So um, the good news is in the end, all of those efforts to attempt to disenfranchise people by and large did not work. Absolutely. And finally, is there any advice you'd want to give to other YOs at this time? Uh, what What's helped you find your way through these tough times? You know, first, I mean, being involved in YEO now for uh, for a decade, um, I, I have, which makes me sound like <laughs> old YEO. Um, uh, I think I'm grandfathered in on age, but absolutely. Um, you know, I, I I've brought inspiration from other YEOs, and you know, this can be a tough business to be in, and certainly the last four years, I, I will have you know many days that are depressing. Mm -hmm. So to see the other um, good works that YEOs are, are involved in helps inspire me. Mm -hmm. So it is more of a community than perhaps people realize. Yeah. And, you know, you might be a YEO and I've never met you, yet you're doing something I'm aware of and mm -hmm. that inspires me. And hopefully I'm having that effect on other people. So I, I, I think that that aspect of it is, uh, is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. I also think that Given the sort of unique issues that those of us of a younger age are facing, whether it's on climate, whether it's on the student debt crisis, mm -hmm. it's very important that our voice is in the public arena. Because I see serving in Congress, which clearly skews um, <laughs> you know, older, yeah. uh, you know, I'm still, uh, even though I've been a YEO for 10 years, I'm still an average of 15 to 20 years younger yeah. than, uh, than my colleagues. And, you know, their experience generationally, especially as it compares to, you know, 
being able to afford a higher education mm-hmm. is completely different mm-hmm. than than mine, who is still paying off mm-hmm. you know, tens of thousands mm-hmm. of student loans. And for those who are 10 years younger than I am, mm-hmm. they have an even greater uh, debt burden. And then, of course, those of us on the younger side will be dealing with the effects of climate change yeah. for many more years than those who are in their 70s and, and 80s and 90s. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's incredibly important now more than ever that, that young elected officials are active, stay in the public arena, uh, even despite sometimes the, the very uh, difficult obstacles. And then if there is one other piece of advice, I would say is that if you are um, running, especially for Congress, and you hire a young, eager staffer to drive you, oh, no. uh, make sure that person knows how to drive, make sure that person um, has actually driven on a highway before. <laughs> uh, of course, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. Like, I don't know what you're talking uh, about. <laughs> make sure that person understands that a one-way street means you can only go one that one direction um, that the sign says. Because okay. um, I, you know, I had a, a, a great young staffer in the past who, who perhaps was not the best driver. Well, I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I think that's really important news and <laughs> advice for our fellow IO. So thanks for that one. <laughs> Uh, no one else probably knows what we're talking nope. about. But, uh, <laughs> let's just but, say, uh, let's just say, um, when I was asked to drive for Brendan many moons ago, and was pretty much freshly out of college and had only driven in the Philadelphia area, my eagerness and excitement took over my common sense, and I probably uh, I, let's just say trial by fire, right? Right? I'm a better you know, driver now. Alana shows the importance of a get it done attitude. <laughs> No matter what, we'll, we'll leave it at that. I love it. <laughs> thank you so much, Brendan. Really appreciate you being on here. All right, thank you. Now we'd like to turn over the podcast to our membership associate, Michelle, for her segment of the podcast, focusing on membership updates, advice, etc. Michelle? Hi, y'all. It's Michelle. And this month's membership corner will be hearing advice from members about how they're sustaining their personal relationships at this time. Senator Ramesh Akberi said, as elected officials, the crisis seems to have completely eliminated the work-life balance barrier. There's much work to be done. From the COVID crisis, the economic downturn and racial injustice and inequity to your regular responsibilities in office. Not only are we working hard to affect change, but our constituents are looking to hear and see us. It's a lot, but hang in there. My mother always tells me to put myself on the schedule, block off time for self-care, connecting with friends and family, and just doing nothing at all, if that's what you need. While we can't travel and connect as freely, the virtual world has been a great way to connect with friends near and far. I actually have a couple of standing hangouts with different groups, and it is fun, stress relief to laugh and talk about nothing and everything at the same time. I have several text groups too. Good morning greetings, funny videos, and seeing baby pictures always brings a smile to my face and helps us stay connected. For the first time in seven years, I am not traveling constantly, so it has been nice to plan family dinners and movie nights with my parents and twin sister. Whatever you do, make sure it brings you joy and that it's not stressful. And hang in there. It's okay not to be okay sometimes. Take a deep breath, take a moment, and reset. 
State Representative Ibrahim Samira said on the personal relationship side, best to stay away from people who don't have aspirations for themselves. Time is limited and it's best to spend it wisely with the right people. Water Board Vice President Aziz Akbari said, here's my best advice. The one thing that I've tried to be better about since shelter in place began is staying in touch with those who are important in my life. It's a good opportunity to call that friend who you haven't spoken to in a while and see how they're doing. It's a reminder to call your extended family and check in with them. You never know how shelter in place is affecting those around you. Counselor Christine Lewis said, Regarding relationships, my advice is to take advantage of the newfound comfort with digital tools and connect more with people geographically distant. Use this time to tend to those relationships intentionally. Additionally, I have been in touching base with people I see seasonally at events during the appropriate time frame, annual dinners, music festivals, my dragon boat team that had our entire season canceled. And finally, I start with the premise that most of us aren't doing okay right now, but trying to find the bits of good when I can. Thanks for tuning into this month's Membership Corner. Stay up to date and the latest YO news. Make sure to check out our website, yonetwork.org, your inbox for the latest updates. Make sure to join our YAO Facebook group and LinkedIn group. And follow us on our social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you need anything else from membership, make sure to contact me, Michelle Landry, at mlandry at pfa.org. Well, YEOs, that's it for this month's edition of We the Young People. We hope you enjoyed and were able to gain some insight and inspiration from it. If you have ideas for topics, policies you'd like to share, need policy-related assistance, or just want to reach out, please don't hesitate to email me at abird at pfaw.org. Talk to you next month. Thanks for listening.